Hi, everyone. I'm Anthony Mindel. Welcome to In The Moment, a podcast about acting, art, and life, and that tricky little thing we're all after but rarely find ourselves in, the moment. In this series, I talk to all kinds of creatives and friends about the joys and the ah, heartache and challenges of acting, writing, producing, and getting out of our own ways to be the creative channels we all are. For more information, go to anthonymile.com, and you can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Okay, I hope you enjoy. On today's episode, Tony chats with Dr. Anup Kumar about the hidden creative brain. They discuss identity, the connection between physiology and imagination, and being authentically you in acting and in life. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by We Audition. Receive 25% off with the promo code AMAW on weaudition.com. The video chat community to audition, rehearse, self-tape, and get advice, and hopefully book the fucking job. I am here today with Anthony Mindel. And Anthony's a very interesting character with a lot of diverse experience in acting, in coaching acting. And I thought it would be very interesting to discuss with you, Tony, identity and many of the other things that you are involved with. So thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. I wish I could sport your pepper, <laughs> salt and pepper beard there. It is like on point. <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. So when when this started, this this um, this intervention of nature intervened on yes. my life when I was doing my training in emergency medicine and it first started right here. Okay. A patch. Just yeah. a pepper. And everyone's like, that's amazing. That's like, you know, that's, that's fantastic. As if I had something to do with it and slowly, but surely it's, it's made its way around the neighborhood. It looks good. I, <laughs> I'm just, I'm sporting my mustache. That's all I'm working oh. on, but I wish I have gray, but not the kind of gray you have. Yeah, well, I, I have the contrast, the, the black and That's the gray. True. You know, it's the it's contrast. premature gray because you're pretty young looking. So <laughs> let's see. Let's see how it goes. So you're not so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you're darker. You have darker hair. So it shows up more, you know, the contrast, right? That's what it is. The I contrast, the light and dark. What a perfect segue about the world <laughs> we're living in. <laughs> you're natural, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. So, so read a little bit about you. To oh, geez. Okay. All right. So Anthony Mindel founded his acting workshop over 20 years ago, yet is constantly adapting and evolving his insights about creativity into practical works for all artists. He has bridged the gap between artistry and rational consciousness. I love that phrase. We definitely have to talk about that. Yes, we can. He has yeah. bridged the gap between artistry and rational consciousness and teaches how to incorporate the two in our work and in our lives. And I'll read a couple sentences from, from the rest of this as well. Beyond the 10 schools established around the world, Tony has guest taught at the David Lynch Masters in Filmmaking Program, the Moscow Art Theater, and many other places. His scripts and films, which focus on socially conscious issues, have won numerous festival awards. His latest feature, Where Do We Go From Here, won awards and is out on Hulu. He's also got a podcast called In the Moment, and his first book called At Left Brain, Turn Right, what a fantastic title, redefines creativity and how to access more of it in our lives. His latest book, so that was his first book, his latest book, You Knew When You Were Two, 
releases spring of 2020. So is that out already? It's out. I'll send you a copy. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, for sure. It just came out. Yeah. With nothing like launching a book during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just writing out this title because I want to ask you about that too. You knew when you... So, Tony, yeah, the reason we got in touch or I contacted you was because of your expertise around identity, a unique perspective on identity. But before we get there, let's start with your bio. You talk about artistry and rational consciousness and bridging that. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, for so long, like God, when you just said 20 years, yeah, 20 next, uh, next year will be my 24th year of establishing our school here in LA. Right. And yeah, it's expanded all over the world and new ways of, you know, I'm always, uh, thinking in terms of like, we have to keep adapting and, you know, creativity, like technology and, and innovation, everything keeps moving forward. Right. And, um, in an ever ascending world. And I think when we get into trouble in life is when we get, we stay stuck in paradigms from like a hundred years ago, that'd be like, you know, being on an analog computer as, a, I mean, I don't even know if there's such a thing as opposed to digital, right? So like the work has always been expanding based on the moment. And that to me, it's always been about presence and the moment has been the, the bedrock because that's never changing because that's eternal. But uh, I, I, I realized that I don't think a lot of acting, um, maybe methodologies focus on awareness, consciousness, it's more head, heady things. And it's interesting that the head stuff is what gets actors just like in life. I get challenged by life when I overthink. So, right. So it's really trying to be in the work in a, in a way beyond the intellect, the left brain cognitive. We need our left brain to understand things for sure, but that's not where creativity flows from. That's not where love flows from. How do we describe these things? Right. Hope, yeah. love, compassion. You were just talking about your son, yeah. you know, and he, he had a boo-boo and hit his head and like, you're feeling all the, it's the feeling part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, so that's kind of like, Really, it's quite simple, really. It's like, you know, Abraham Maslow calls, he talked about the flow state or being in the zone. And it's really about having a pra practical principles and steps to get there. Okay. And I think we're all hardwired. I mean, I know your work is about this as well. It's, it's difficult, right? Because we have to use um, terms and concepts and explain something that is transcendental, but trying to understand ephemeral, if you will, and yet really real, it's a real thing, right? Yeah. But using terms to help understand it, but then you have to transcend the term to have the experience of it. Yeah. So how do you teach? So it sounds to me like- <laughs> So hard. There's no, this, no, no. this right and, and left brain and, and kind of, if we can go beyond just right or just left and, and kind of, you know, it, bring them together somehow. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? I mean, I mean the, my book, my first book at left brain turn, right. Obviously I'm not in any way suggesting that the left and right hemisphere are not interfacing and connected and right. conversing back and forth because they are, and we need right. them both, but I'm, I'm using that as a metaphor for, and it's kind of true in the work that I've done with people for so long and not just actors, anybody who wants to be creative, you know, you have an inspired idea, you have an intuition, you have an aha, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, oh my God, I have a great idea for a novel. And yeah. then the next morning, the left brain is telling you, oh, that's stupid. Or who would be interested in that? Or, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so it's, 
from the practical in our daily lives and in the work, like creative work itself, how do you turn that part off and you just create? Hmm. And, you know, I think living in the world that I live in, in Hollywood, it's also can be very challenging for artists because how many billion people are there in the world? Everybody has a different subjective experience of what they think life is, right? And then in terms of business, what they think will be successful or commercial or people will want and, and nobody knows. That's the great aha about it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, my feeling, Anoop, is that when we get these, we're all plugged into whatever we want to call it. And when we get those ahas, the real work is to translate it from the spiritual, if you will, or if that's too highfalutin, you know, translating it from somewhere into the physical. Okay. And that's, but that's hard. That takes work. That's the real creative process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the genesis of creativity is not hard because we're all very creative beings and we all have great ideas and we all have this extension and expression of ourselves creatively. But when this part gets involved, it's, it's really, can I cuss on here? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's like a battle. Yeah. 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 So how do you, how do you bring this into acting? How do you teach? I know that's a big question, but what are some of the approaches no, quite or simple, how do you work yeah. with actors? I mean, at one level, it's just what you and I are doing right now. It's listening and talking and, and it's really distilling it to these very simple, again, the older I get, you know, I used to laugh at cliches, you know, the cliches that our parents would tell us, right. you know, right. and I can't think of one right now, but like, and you just roll your eyes. But then as you get older, you realize, oh, they're so true. Like the, yeah. the foundation of life itself is so simple and inherently complex. So, and I also, you know, I'm a big climate, you know, advocate, uh, activist, and I think it, it, it goes to show how everything is connected and you pull one string or you mess with, we think we can be more complex than the inherent complexity yeah. and it fucks everything up, right? Yeah. And so from the, from the most granular to the universal, I think, that's what I try to break down in very understandable uh, experiences or exercises. And yeah. it's really based on listening and having an instinct. And again, how do we trust that the way we're all channels, right? And how do we, again, get out of our own way and let that full expression be manifest? Hmm. It's hard for people because we've all grown up and I'm not, you know, it's not about blaming the educational system or our parents or religion, although we can, but like, you know, it's like, it's really untethering all those things yeah. that have kept us from being these wild, beautiful selves. You have kids. So you see yeah. the impulse of the child is what we have lost when we've become adult. Hmm. I think it was Picasso who said it, adults are obsolete children. Yeah. It's yeah, so I true. So. I think so. I was talking with somebody a few days ago and mentioning how, you know, when you're a child, you're allowed to have imaginary friends, but there's some age at which, you know, the, the walls come up, say, uh-uh, that's not allowed anymore. Now you're four or now you're seven or now you're 10. So cut that out and, and live in this fragment or this fraction of reality. Not, not that this isn't real, but it's not all of it. 
And, and it starts to create that divide in the mind. That's not okay. This is okay. Separation. You're right. Yeah. But Anoop, I would also go so far as to say, you use the word imaginary, and I know you probably understand it's imaginary to us because we don't perceive or tap into or process what kids might be connected to, yeah. which is a whole other, it's like nature, right? Yeah. And you, you know, when you're out in nature or you've done psychedelics, you know, you have these experiences where you're like, oh my gosh, what we see, what's that analogy of the iceberg, right? Titanic, it's like yeah. the iceberg, two thirds of the iceberg is underneath yeah. the water, what we don't see. Yeah. And so it's really trying to move past right? The physical, although yeah. we're in the physical and we have to use the physical, but I think COVID is maybe helping some people search more deeply to understand their connection to all that is where we're going, mm. you know? Yeah. Certainly when there, when there are difficult times, you know, unfortunately I wish it for didn't sure. take such difficult times. I wish, I wish there wasn't COVID in that sense for us to, you know, take stock of things. Um, you know, you talk of you talk about imaginary friends, or we both were talking about it. Yeah, I agree. I think I think a child's imaginary friends are imaginary in the same way that this also is imaginational. Let's say, mm -hmm. right? The, I can see mm -hmm. the fridge behind you, the kitchen behind you. You can see the desk behind me. This is also imaginational. Imaginational. We're we're doing an interpretation right now, which is why I think acting is is a great thing to talk about. It's we are we're in a scene. Yes, in our own way. That's right. And also to take that another step further, somebody, again, from the creative to the translating it into the physical, the material, somebody had the imagination for that uh, desk you have there. Like somebody created yeah. from ideation into yeah. the physical, right? So yeah. it's all creative, That's which is really cool. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like they've created a set. We've created yeah, a set right. here, right? When I was, yeah. a, when I was a kid, we used to sometimes do dramas. I used to be in plays and my parents were really into it. And my father would, would build some of the props. So we would act out some of the scenes from Hindu mythology and, you know, they're very okay. elaborate. Oh, yeah, you, have yeah, these, yeah. you have like weapons and, and things that we don't have around these days. So, you know, I remember there's a weapon called a gada, which is like, it's kind of like a club with a big end. So we bought this plastic pumpkin that became the end of it and wrapped aluminum foil around it, stuck it to a baseball bat and it, and it became this kind of weapon for the set. But in a way, when you talked about the desk, it's the same thing. It's somebody mm. had this idea and was like, okay, I need, I need a, a flat platform to, to write on. It's gotta be steady, but okay. I think four legs would be best. Why? Well, Animals have four legs. We have four limbs. So that's what's coming to me. Let me put four limbs on this thing too. And we're literally creating out of our experience, this set in which we live. Mm, that's so true. Also, if you were a kid and you were acting out the Mahabharata, like that probably lasted for, those were long ass plays you were doing. My God. Indian poems are like 20 years long. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, we never did the whole Mahabharata. That, that, okay. You're right. I would still be acting right now. You would that, be. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't good enough to last that long. But, <laughs> but the things that we did do were, they're very meaningful. And especially the creation of sets, I think, speaks to that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that came to me is you mentioned cliches. And I agree with you 100%. Um, one of the cliches that I thought was the most cliche perhaps growing up was be yourself. And today I find that to be the most profound advice 
and it's um, so hard. Yeah. That's yeah. also what I, that's really what I teach, right? Yeah. Like we think, you know, touching back on the acting part, like we, when we watch a movie or a TV show, people who aren't on, like people who aren't in the acting process, you're following a story written um, with a plot line and different characters and different situations at different time in a different period, right? And sometimes it's autobiographical or biographical and sometimes it's completely fictional. But the point is, is the person who is watching it subjectively is kind of imprinting on the story who they think these people are, just like life. Again, I don't know you, so I imprint my own... I'm filling in the blanks of who I think you are. And so yeah. I think sometimes people mistake that when they're watching something that the actor is playing this character. And at one level they are, but at a much deeper level, they're actually just playing themselves within the context of the story, right? Mm -hmm. So I just started watching The Crown. I'm so late to the game. And the acting is so, so wonderful. And they are obviously playing characters based on real people. But, you know, the woman playing Princess Diana is not doing an imitation of Princess Diana. She's finding her own princessness yeah. within herself. And that's yeah. why it's so real. And yes, you have the wig and you watch, you watch like, uh, you know, archival footage of Diana. So you understand maybe how, again, but how she lived or how she moved, but then the actor has to translate that again into their own system. And so I think that the hardest thing of the journey that we're all on is the calling to be ourselves. And we live in a world that is telling us, it tells us to be yourself, but it really doesn't. I think it's a very weird, um, I don't know, disconnect. Like that's what we're told, but it doesn't really reward that in many ways because we live in a sheep people kind of mentality. Yeah. Right. To go your own path is very scary to trust your own instinct. You might be, you know, Joseph Campbell talks about it's like the Iliad or the Odyssey. You have to go on your hero's journey. And that can't happen if you don't authentically go into the underworld of yourself. Yeah. And this is why we're, you know, this is why we're driven by distraction and we ignore and we check out. And, you know, I have my own challenges that we all do. I'm not judging it. But I, I find that working with actors it's been it's really amazing to get them to trust that who they are is enough interesting beautiful human scary weird messed up divine like all of it right i had this and conversation as, with a couple people many years ago mm. and we were talking about when an actor acts are they oh yeah exactly what you said are they actually playing a character are they inventing a character that they're playing or is it that they're bringing this aspect of themselves out yeah the latter that's it it's the latter huh yeah which is really hard again i think we think that acting is about putting all this stuff on and like life when we hang out with those people that we don't Maybe you're attracted to it at first, but then when the other shoe drops and you see who the person really is, you know, it's a charade. You're not interested. It's not real. So we are, again, at a deeper level when we respond to really authentic performance. I think we're connected to the core of that kind of honesty. They're really living in the simple truth of what it means to be human. Mm. And I think when we see the bells and whistles, you're immediately out, you know? I also think what's interesting, like, you know, I use the crown, but because... 
that's maybe a lot of most of the things that actors are going to do are not based on real people, right? So they're they're originating a role as themselves. So if you go and see a movie that's fictionalized, to me, what's exciting is the person who got cast in that role, they're originating it. So they're doing it the way they imagine it, want it to be like their own DNA is all over that, right? But then a different actress who had maybe gotten cast in it could have done it a different way, right? And if we compared the two, whatever that means, you see similarities in our human struggles and foibles, and then you see difference because each each of us is different, right? Mm. So that, but again, I think like, Anup, for me, is getting people, myself on my own journey of trusting our own individual journeys mm. of, you know, and yeah. simplifying into who who I am and it can be lonely sometimes because you feel like, oh gosh, the rest of the world is saying it's blue. And I always thought it was red. Oh, I shouldn't use blue and red. Sorry. <laughs> Take two. Right? That was like terrible. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I really, those are just colors that came to my mind. I yeah. swear to goodness, anybody who's watching this, I wasn't thinking in terms of politics, but <laughs> it's hard to trust our own way when everything we see and read and hear about seems to be like, all the cool kids are over here. Yeah. You know, I experienced some of that in my own work because in, in oh, medicine, sure. you know, I trained in, in medicine and allopathic medicine. It's the most common form of medicine around the world. And yet much of what I see my, how I was raised and, and what I see myself is a different version of the human being. Um, and the question is how do we reconcile you know, this version of anatomy and physiology that I learned in medical school, let's say, with the whole human, right? The two people that are here, for example, and, and, and there's much more in the latter. The former is part of the latter, but the latter is not captured by the former. So how do we reconcile that? And when you talk about that in medicine, it becomes, it often becomes a challenging conversation because you have to move outside our area of expertise, mm-hmm. right? As a physician, we are supposed to be the experts on, for example, the body and on physiology. And we are from a particular perspective on anatomy. But if we have to expand that perspective, it becomes difficult. So I've, I've met some of those same challenges that you're talking about. Well, I think you do it so well. Like that's how we connected because uh, an actor, student of mine or somebody connected, showed me or sent me one of your videos and I watched and I was like, oh, you're really integrating the anatomy, physiology, this, the science part with another different way of thinking about science, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and, and trying to, I, I, so that was interesting, but also I'm sure it's hard, like you said, because the medical profession, the establishment is so steeped in what has come before, like where the science has led them. And yeah. it's so traditional. And so yeah. to break, and and it's great because it's scientifically empirically proven, I guess. Although one could argue, is it? Because isn't the scientific, look at me trying to be like, I'm going to like get into the science. No, <laughs> but but it's fascinating because you can maybe help explain it better. But the whole point about, what do you call it? When you're doing a scientific experiment, the scientific experiment is prejudiced a a bias based on the person who's conducting the experiment, right? So there is always going to be the X factor or, so it's so that also to me, the implication of, I don't know, there's so many ways of interpreting the data, right? Yeah, Yeah, very much so. so. 
the science that we do, the experiments that we do have a base in, let's call it philosophy. And by philosophy, I simply mean the way we define things. Like we might say, we're, we're studying this. Why are we studying it? Well, to, to help a human being. Well, how are we defining that human being? If we're defining it primarily physically, then we're going to get different results for that experiment than if we define, have a broader definition. And then what is that based on? Our, let's say our philosophy. We don't have to be philosophers, but our basic approach to how we define things and how we think about things, what is that based on? Well, it's based on our perception and it's based on our experiences. So what ultimately becomes science starts with our fundamental experiences of identity, of relationship, of perception that becomes formed into some kind of philosophy, either formally or informally, mostly informally, because nobody in nobody, most researchers are not talking about philosophy. We don't talk about our philosophical biases that precede our science, but from that philosophy, which is usually a materialist philosophy, which is that body comes first, physicality is primary, and mind is this kind of offshoot that body creates. From that philosophy, now we conduct science. So yes, just like you said, science is very good at telling us about measurements, about reproducibility, about predictability. We also have to understand the assumptions that go into it and the perceptions that go into it. I think, you know, Anoop, like what you're talking about is the scientist, him or herself, is influencing the outcome of an experiment, right? Based on what they want to see, their expectations, which then has to me it begs the question, what is our um, role in creating our reality? You know what I mean? And I I know it's just really fascinating. Like I listen to a lot of science podcasts and most of the stuff goes way over my head, but it's a lot of obviously, you know, it's to me, it's all interconnected. Yeah. And, and it is really fascinating to, you know, to me also, you know, when you have, um, oh my God, what do you call it? When, um, um, oh my gosh, there's the name for it, the scientific term for it, it will come to me. But like, if I hadn't talked to you in four years and all of a sudden I think of you yeah. and then you call me that day. Yeah, yeah. And what is it? Coincidence oh or synchronicity? Well, or... no, well, that's how I would call it. But there's also, there's also a, a very scientific way to explain it, but it's, it's, it will come to me. But okay. I just find this is kind of, I dabble in all of this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And... I think it has something to do with also being plugged into other information, if you yeah. will, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I hear you. I have I have it in my new book. I have this, everybody's kind of, not everybody, but a lot of my students have been obsessed with the ayahuasca stories uh-huh. I've told because I yeah. went and did ayahuasca like 15 years ago. Okay. But mind you, I've been to India a number of times. I've been meditating very committedly for, oh my gosh, since 1998 so same thing over 20 years right and so again i find them all to sort of be coalescing in the same Mm -hmm. way but i I guess the ayahuasca experience was revealing again in that sense that what we think we're perceiving is just one little tiny part of the you know yes yes very very true i mean even even two people looking at the same thing see it from a slightly different right, angle, different slightly way, different yeah, shades. Right. Yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. that's with no other influences, right? We see that. And then if you look at how we perceive, ultimately it is their visual stimuli that go back to the retina, to the optic nerve, to the brain. And then the brain does something. We don't quite understand what, 
it takes that electrochemical impulse and then an image appears, mm. right? This image mm -hmm. just kind of appears. So what is that process that's happening by which we actually interpret this world? Because everything that we're interpreting is the result here of reflected light. Like the light is reflecting from your screen and coming to you. But what about the original light prior mm. to reflection mm -hmm. and the original light prior to interpretation? What is this world prior to interpretation. And it goes back to the set that we're building merely by the act of perceiving, which is like me moving my eyes to hear. That very process, there is a mechanism in play that interprets then what is here, that builds the set as I'm looking here, as, as other stimuli reach my ears, it's building an auditory set, a visual set, right? There's these overlapping sets is then what we call our reality experience. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess it, it makes us think about what do we want to be focusing on? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, and that's, I guess that's also part of our journey. Like it's so easy, especially during such challenging times. I, you know, it's really how do I focus on or I think maybe to me sometimes what I think is really challenging on Instagram or in social media is I'm really always trying to find um, an inspiring way to look at the challenges we face because yeah. inherently the solutions to all these problems are also here they're not some they're not on another planet we do not have to go to Mars do you know what I mean which is to me insane but I think the world is so embedded with you know from the plant world on like we have the solutions to things right but where was i going with this oh i guess so when i'm posting about things that we have to become aware of i find it fascinating that a lot of the social media world is obsessed with toxic uh positivity which is not solution oriented which is not really taking a look at the problem yeah. and therein you know when i look at my life Although, yes, it'd be great to be problem-free. The beautiful thing is every single challenge has held an answer, um, an offshoot of a new possibility for me has ultimately created a win, right? If you're willing to, again, go down into the shadow part of it or look yeah. at it. Yeah. So I think, I, think, um, I think it's just important that we don't get anesthetize ourselves with the social mediaing of like everything is always so amazing yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i actually talked about this yesterday i did a short video oh, on okay. bliss i called it beyond bliss a reality check because so much especially in the spirituality we hear a lot about bliss and yes bliss is an important aspect of life i think bliss i think there's a bliss body like a part of our anatomy yes it yes, is yes. blissful but that's different from always remaining happiness yes 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 yes, yeah. yes. and, That's and right. I, I like what you said earlier about it 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 makes us think about what we want to focus on right yes it's wonderful to experience bliss then how do we go from there how do we bring that into this world how do we acknowledge the challenges that are real and not just try to positivize everything i suppose but use the positivity i mean there is there are real deep resources that every human being has access to. And then how do we how do we bring that and translate it here? As you talked about earlier in terms of bringing our imagination into the physical, for example. Well, I love that you call it a bliss body. Yeah. I'm going to like take that. Yeah, yeah. I will give you credit. 
Oh yeah, Anoop Kumar, Bliss Body, Anoop Kumar's yeah, Bliss, yeah. Bliss Body, because it's so true. Anoop, you know, I was saying something yesterday in class. Similar, I often call it joy, right? But like, it is like this. It's very difficult to articulate because it's not about. So yes, finding this. How do you? this foundational aspect of who we are as human beings, as spirit, as whatever we want to call it, is vibrating at a place of joy. Yeah. The existence itself is humming with, again, maybe joy isn't even, or bliss. How do we use words to describe right. the right. Energy, energy of life? Oh, right. It's so moving to me. It's life. And it's not to say that life isn't full of heartache and pain and struggle and grief. I'm not saying to bypass that. But underneath that, sometimes when I get really challenged it's, or, or watch something or hear something that is so painful, it's not to ignore the pain and and yeah, that's insanity. I'm, right. But it's also appreciating the interlockingness yeah. of it all. Yeah. yeah. But that's hard for people to get beyond the happiness part. It's not about happiness. Happiness yeah. is, right, a, a changeable state that occurs like, well, I'm happy right now because I have really good coffee in my shamwari mug from yeah. you know South Africa. And this makes me happy. But that's, you know what I'm saying? Happiness right. is maybe on a gradation of a number of things, including pain and grief nice. that are part of joy or bliss. Yeah. Yes. Oh I my agree. God. I love, I love the way you're sharing all this with people. Yeah. I mean, this, this, I think there's, um, I think there are layers to the human being and, and bliss body is not mine. It's thousands of years old. It's it, That's I'm, right. I'm translating it somewhat, but as we go deeper into the layers of the human being at a very fundamental layer, layer, there is an ocean of bliss and that is not, that's not restricted to the body. And it's, it kind of perturbs mm -hmm. itself in a way to construct mm -hmm. the body, if we might put mm -hmm. it that way. And beyond that is a, let's just say a simplicity or an awareness in which even pain is allowed. It's not that, you know, it, it, it's not that we have to rail against pain or even all these polar opposites and all shades of everything and light and dark and all of this has a place. Um, and again, I think acting is such a beautiful way to experience and or to talk about that. You talked about what is the word? What is the word that we use? And that reminds me of script writing. It's like we're always writing scripts. But we, in our case, we're, as human beings, we're performing the script as we're writing it. Mm -hmm. We're writing and performing the script simultaneously. And sometimes we need to go back and look at our words and be like, wait, I performed this a little bit too quickly. And mm. I think that's that happens over time as we get used to words, as I think happens in spirituality when we talk about bliss in certain contexts or happiness in certain contexts. Yeah, well, I guess we get stuck on the words, right? But yeah. I, I think what just jumped out to me when you were saying that is also thinking about why I love acting is, you know, it's the oldest profession or the second oldest profession. <laughs> but I think it is such a trying to share uh, an expression or an experience with humanity back with itself to better understand or figure out or have, create meaning. But I, I do find like, it's so fascinating because even though I teach this philosophy or belief um, of like non-acting acting, right? It's just being, which is super hard to just be. But then uh, conversely, 
we're all acting all the time in life. We're at, as Shakespeare said, you know, we, we, oh God, I'm going to like bludgeon this, but, but uh, from, um, oh, it's not the Tempest, but you know, we're here and we're playing a very dramatic, this is, I'm a terrible acting teacher. I don't even remember from what play it is. Not much ado. <laughs> You know, I think you know. You know. Are you everything. talking about all the worlds of stage? That, yes, that, yes. Okay, yeah, it's I don't know. I don't know where it's from. I'm sorry. It's not the Tempest. It's not much ado, but um, Midsummer maybe. But anyway, yes, we come, we play our roles dramatically, and then we we are yeah. carried off the wings, right? And I think we forget maybe sometimes when I get too serious about life, I forget in context the great drama that it is. And that I'm playing like the tiniest, tiniest role, although it's significant for me and also people that I am connecting with. Yeah. But it's just a role, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and again, these are like go ahead. Go it ahead. takes a lot of it it takes some working through it to have yeah. those ahas about it, which is really cool. And yeah. I just say really quickly, I, I want to hear what you say, but I'm I'm listening to this audible book called Kindred, mm-hmm. which is all about. Uh, the lives of our Neanderthal grandmothers and grandfathers. It's so fascinating because I'm, I'm really interested in like the archeological aspect of, of where we come from, yes. from a physical place. Right. Yes. And yeah. it also just puts everything in perspective. Like also like, again, the mythology, like how, when I you know was in school, what they, what I thought Neanderthals were like dumb cavemen brutes, right. you know, right. Oh, I'm going to hit you over the head and right. carry you. Like they were so amazingly sophisticated and brilliant. I mean, if you think about it, they had to be in order to survive 350,000 years. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's but it's mind blowing yeah. to me. Yeah. And it also helps to contextualize our unimportance or our place in this journey. Yeah, it certainly gives that. It gives that that relative picture where we are relative to other civilizations. Yeah. But I think I can about, also, I'll go ahead. Well, it reminds me of, you know, the question of whether we are an advanced civilization or not. And there, ah. there are so many ways oh. to answer that. Go ahead. No, I love it. Like we're totally in simpatico. Yeah. I was just going to say like, for me, what I get excited about listening to that book is also my being right here right now I'm helping move culture forward. I'm helping move the line of Homo sapiens forward. Like yeah. it's really so. Everybody listening, you are an integral part of yeah. this amazing thing. We're all connected, right? Yeah. But uh, what were you just saying uh, that I just had this big aha? About? Oh, you were talking about whether we're uh, in civilization. Yeah, like. Again, I think like we're we're taught things or told things that aren't really accurate. And so we spin, I don't know. Like for me, I always had like when I think about past lives or like uh and I don't have a lot of past life experiences or anything like that. Um but but I always am like, oh my god, if I have to come back, if you believe in like alternate yet uh, like all realities are happening at the same time, I was like, oh, I would never want to come back and like the wild west or i'm just making something up because what we've been told it was like wild and yeah. dirty and like you're being murdered all the time but then you find out actually that's hollywood's depiction of it it was actually right. i mean life was hard but life is still hard you know what i mean but yeah. you weren't being murdered by gunslingers every 2 seconds yeah so it's again the narrative is yeah. so off yeah 
that what you were going to say? I don't know. <laughs> I just jumped in, but it made me excited. Well, it's, it's a good place to go. I don't know if that was gonna, what I was going to say, but yeah, the, the narrative is so powerful. Narrative is so powerful, which is one of the reason I like to do these conversations with mm. people of different backgrounds, because we need a more full story. Our stories are so skeletal at this point, you know, and, and, and then everybody thinks that that's the story. So everybody's left out. It seems like. Totally. Like the story that we want to perpetuate, the story that helps certain segments of society, you yeah. know, for so, for so long, it's been the white person's story who's been the colonizer and, you know, the murderer, really, if we want to be honest, right? Where are the stories of, you know, this is why Black Lives Matter is at so many different levels, right? Because yeah. where is the Black experience in the history that isn't being taught? You know, it hasn't been taught. Yeah. But uh, women's story, I mean, we can go on and on and on, right? Like having a better, I mean, that just kind of speaks to the colonization of like the white story that has always been, you know, as opposed to the human story. I'm not saying white stories shouldn't be told. Yeah. I'm, I'm writing from my perspective as a gay, I don't think of myself in terms of whiteness, I guess, but of course I, it, that's a part of who I am. But yeah. my point is I'm trying to tell universal stories from my perspective that's, that yeah. are inclusive, yeah. but you're right. Like the, the very nature of existence that has lived for millennia has been through storytelling, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but somewhere along the line, it's been augmented to fit somebody else's political idea, you know, control yeah. of what the story should be. Religion yeah. has been a big, oh my God. I mean, yeah. don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't think we realize today, I think because of the success of science and, and how much technology we have, and there's a narrative that we are a very advanced civilization. And I think because of this, we don't realize that we primarily communicate and build our lives around storytelling, just as we always have done. Even science, as we talked about the assumptions mm. that are built in, technology, what kind of technology do we develop? What do we call technology? Yesterday I had a conversation with somebody. We were talking about technology. Um, he was talking about augmented reality, virtual reality. And I said, wait a second, let's also consider who created this technology. It's the human being. Like, why do we not see ourselves as very advanced kinds of technology? I'm not saying that means we're machines, mm -hmm, but we are mm -hmm. incredibly advanced. And sometimes we need to shift our attention away from only the things we are creating to what it is that is creating them, which is ourselves mm -hmm. and, and have a greater appreciation for that and tell that story. Yeah, the engineering, like we are the engineers and the engineering of it, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, they, I, I think the medical scientific community needs more people like you. I'm sure there are more and more people like anything that do think about things like this, right? Yeah. As we continue to forge forward on this yeah. interesting journey. So let me get your take on, on, you know, in acting, you have a person bringing out different roles from within themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds like that mm -hmm. might be right. That's so how do, you, how do you see... Um, let's say a person has a daydream. Let's say I have a daydream now, and now I've created this other character that's also me in this daydream. Okay. And my identity is moving into that role of that character in the daydream. Okay. But we'll say it again. But then, so 
you have a daydream of how you think this person looks. Is that what you kind of help no. me translate it in a way that I can? Yeah. Answer. So let's say I'm, I'm imagining myself riding a bike, right? I'm okay. having a daydream. I'm, I'm sitting okay. in class, the professor's droning on and I'm, I'm kind of half here, half not. Right. And now I've created this world, right? So in this world, I'm bicycling. It's a, it's a windy day. I can feel the wind brushing against my face and Speak to me a little bit about identity in this context, because there's some identity as this guy in class who's bored, and there's some identity as this cyclist and playing a role. Yes, I guess where I would take that is as, as, as if we're talking from a place of imagination, mm -hmm. that an imagination can create identity, but how... What I'm always helping actors understand is the imagination process is part of a creative process. But like anything, when we talk about technology and idea, um, you want to move to, you, you, you dream about islands or whatever. And but okay, well, if you want to live an island life, you're going to have to pick up, practically, you're going to have to pick up, pack your suitcase, sell your house, buy a plane ticket, move to Fiji, right? So I think for me, if, if I'm getting your exploring correctly is the ideation part is a part of creativity, but I think it's a subtler, um, if, in terms of acting, I think I always kind of teach, know it and then throw it. So we have to trust that our systems are more, um, connected and more knowledgeable, if you will, than our brain's analysis or interpretation of it. And so if I'm doing a scene, then and that image came to me and it gives me insight into how I want to explore the character. I can't show that because if I'm showing that, I'm all of a sudden going to start acting it. It's going to be false, right? But once I have that, it's a part of me, just like, just like grief is, just like the feelings we were talking about earlier. It's all inside me, whether you've experienced it or not. It's also universally, I'm always saying the universe is contained within us and we are contained within the universe. So I have to, at some level, trust everything I'm ever going to need is inside me and it's firing out at some level. But that then again is, to me, Anoop, is removing the restrictions that keep us from expressing it, right? Mm -hmm. I think like to me, I don't know if I answer that exactly right in terms of identity. My, no. my thing is a lot of times what I'm helping actors do less of is play their idea and identity can is an or maybe identity is a better word their identification of what they think that person looks like you know i just had this girl mm. uh self-tape for and self-taping just means they're putting themselves on camera and recording it to send to casting right to see if they're right for the job and this woman is really amazing and very talented. And she was going in for this new revival of this British series. And she's supposed to play, the character is a rich royal. So kind of like a monarch, like part of the monarchy, right? And, but it's not the crown, but something like that. So when I was watching her, I was like, I'll just make up her name, Bernadette. I was like, I mean, I can use her real name, but I was like, Bernadette, why you're really, like she wasn't free. There was a, a level of acting going on like that I've not seen her do. And she said, oh, gosh, she said, because the, the description, so the identity that is described for the actor in these little stage briefs of what they're looking for, described this character as rich and royal. So in her mind now, she's playing an idea, 
of what rich and royal looks like. That creates acting. Rich and royal, I, I told her, I was like, even royal's shit. Like, you know what I mean? It's not what we think it is. All people are, are, are this kaleidoscope, or like you said, these the prisms of light that are bouncing off us and through us and around us. So it's so much more of a multiplicitous universe than it is a one-dimensional identification with, oh, that's how somebody looks. Yeah. Does that make so, sense? I mean, I yeah, kind of over-explained that. You were probably no, like, no, oh my God. But, no, but, not but, at but, all. Not at all. I, I mean, feel like... I can... As a smart, as a super smart person you are, I feel like oh god, I gotta really like make sure, <laughs> like no, I'm like meeting you at your level of intellect. No, no, I like the way you're integrating everything. Let me see if I can tie it back into that and explore more. I, I mean, there are no right or wrong answers here. We're yeah, just no, 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 that's adding the stuff around. So, in the case of a daydream, what's interesting to me is that I'm not trying to play that guy who's riding the bicycle, right? He's in a way playing himself. Like right. that, that which was brought out of this character, it was brought out of that character. And that guy is now just being himself. That's and right. yet it's rooted in this identity here somehow. So I think it just speaks to um, the transferability, how easily we can transfer identity, we can we take on roles. And Ooh. I think that, that maybe naturalness and 100% being in that character is in a way perhaps what you're trying to teach is mm, just like mm -hmm. being that character without having to think what that character is like that's right it's, and something else that just came to mind when you were describing that again at a deeper level to understand we're connected all those things when you're seeing yourself in an image on a bike what else do you equate with that freedom wind blowing through your hair like you smell the sea or, or there's like this i don't know there's je ne sais quoi of like it's yeah. just, it's buoyant, right. Right? right? So maybe it's even less about identifying with how something looks and more of like, oh, I'm dialed into like what the feeling part feels like. Yeah. But again, then you have to let the thing that I think actors sometimes misrepresent is then like life, whatever is happening in the moment is going to then affect our feelings. So I could be a very buoyant, fun, riding my bike kind of guy, but then all of a sudden you tell me, if you and I are in a scene and we're married and you tell me you want a divorce, that's yeah. gonna change me. The yeah. problem is, Anoop, is sometimes actors will ignore the moment or the truth of what that moment may mean for them to play the idea, aha, see, of the imagination or what they think the sky looks like. That's false. Mm. That's That's, that's unreal. You would in real life, you would call someone on that. You'd be like, are you not listening to me? I want a divorce. Yeah. yeah. You know what I, who I really, because my work is so influenced by things that you were talking about and so many of the things we've been touching on. I've also been really influenced by Malcolm Gladwell mm -hmm. and, you know, outliers blink, um, yeah. um, David and Goliath. Like I've read so many of his books and I don't remember which one it's, it's the book where he talks about 10,000 hours, I think. But one of the things he talks yeah. about, oh, the tipping point. Tipping point, right. In the tipping point, he talks about, now he's not talking about acting, but this blew me away when I read it. He said that our character as human beings, right? Because the tipping point is about, he's a social scientist about the human condition. He was talking about, I'm using my own terms, but basically in life, our character is more born out of the circumstances we find ourselves in, partially. Mm -hmm. So who I am 
making love to my beloved last night is not who I'm going to be. I hope not with my mom and dad the next morning at breakfast. That situation is evoking a different Tony. But Tony robbing a bank is going to be a different Tony. And Tony fighting climate change is a different, see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a different way of saying what you were just saying about, you know, the integration of all these identities yeah. that come from our imagination and that are inside us. Yeah. And this is and the deepest also... acting podcast ever. I'm going to have to use this for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that also speaks to me about the inseparability of the character and the scene. It's, yes, you know, it's, right. it's, as, as you said, it's like this movement where one current the moves, dance. the other the current dance. moves in accordance. And there's no, there's no separate character in a scene. The character is the scene and the scene is the character. That's right. It's it's a dance. It's like right now you and I are, are podcasting. Then when we end, you're going to seamlessly move into making, going, checking in on your son. And yeah. then you're going to seamlessly move into answering emails or then yeah. kissing your, your wife or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. It's just, it is. But that's also freaking hard. It's freaking hard to to be in the flow or to trust the simplicity of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You could be an acting teacher, Anup. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I think very much and I see very much in these terms, in term in as identities, roles, scenery. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and there are many ways to talk about it. And and also very much what you said, which is like, okay. Now, what segment of this do I wish to focus on now? Because focusing on everything is also not acting in the world. They're they're both the same. Because once you start to bring everything and literally everything, physicality, mentality, and beyond, now it's not in in the sphere of action. It's in the sphere of, let's say, being. That's right. To bring being into action means bringing the focus on a particular subset of existence. That's right. I mean, I would, the way I would describe that is in acting terms, because I've had people, you know, being confronted with this, I I would call it spiritual woo-wooism. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm talking to someone about, well, why are you not in your rage about this moment or this scene or what the conflict is bringing up? And they want to spiritually bypass certain feelings because at one level, they intellectually understand kind of what you were talking about. But, but, but it's sort of like bifurcating themselves or letting only the spiritual part um, dictate and deny the actual physical, terrestrial, the, 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 you know, the, the life, blood, and guts of being physical, right? Yeah. yeah. So, oh, I don't, I'm a spiritual being, so I don't need to get angry. Well, yes, you do, because you have not left your body yet, and life is still going to make us angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also get it from that perspective of, I manage in life, I, Tony, because of my spiritual practice, I don't really get angry about a lot of things, right. because I'm learning how to... But that doesn't mean in my work and in my storytelling that I'm not accessing and using it. Yeah. You know, yeah. So- I think there's a difference between um, not ever being angry about anything versus as a result of time, practice, nature, mm-hmm. anger might dissipate as mm-hmm. we work through certain things. And yet the capacity is always there. I think that's the key. 
is that the capacity to respond in many ways, we never know what the next moment is going to bring. And as long as we're focusing on a subset, and I think this is the key, there's always a capacity to respond in many ways. Well, I think a new, what you just said again is like so specific to what I teach with acting is we don't know what is coming next. And in acting, I think why actors love acting so much, especially when they are kind of learning to work basically in our philosophy, which is living in the unknown, which is ironically what life is about. But here's my, my thought about this. So in, in acting, we love this sense of freedom and danger and not knowing what's coming next, even though we know what the lines are or, or we know we're in a rehearsal process or whatever. But you're really, when you're untethered and you're free, it is like a higher, it's like a high. It's like an experience of heightened living. Mm -hmm. And then we like come back into our body in a different way. And then we're like, oh God, I have to go pay the bills or I have to go cook or yeah. like change the diapers. And yeah. we let sort of the mundacity of life rob us of of the unknowable yeah and life is supposed to be like i'm so excited talking with you because i don't know what you're going to say and so i'm working it's it's this is the way we're supposed to live but we myself you we've all been conditioned by the whatever the machinery of culture to turn that part oh, that part gets it's lost right we it's also based on control i think we don't it's I think what COVID, it's kind of what you were speaking about earlier again, why does it take tragedy often, personal and maybe at a bigger level, to wake us up, to live a more heightened, although albeit scary maybe right now for a lot of people, yeah. and unknowability. Unknowability is, again, the state of existence that we're all living in. doesn't matter how many freaking cars you have or how much money you have. You are not able to take any of that. That, that stuff is not keeping you from holding on or yeah. letting go, I should say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this acting to me is an amazing exercise and discipline in understanding more of the science of the moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, that, and, and that, that's that what I do. Of, yeah. It reminds me of what we were saying earlier about the bliss body, that it reminds me of um, this analogy of, the high of acting that you were speaking of and in the role and boom, 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 one after the other, you're on the roller coaster, you're going, and then the roller coaster stops, stops. and then you got to get off. And you're like, man, where's the bliss body? Exactly. But I think that speaks to that deeper layer of, of everything of being that actually allows no bliss too. Mm. that allows no, um, no joy or no happiness or little joy or little happiness. And, I think that's the speaks to what you said earlier about integrating the positivity and the negativity and what it is that integrates that, that being or that space that integrates that. I don't know that it can be scripted. I don't know that it has a word mm -hmm. because it doesn't fall in the dimension of polarity and in the good evil character story. You're right. What is that which accepts both? Yes. I, I don't know what we would call that. Yeah. You know, I was going to say maybe what, you know, when we go out into nature or we are disconnected from these freaking phones and technology, we have, again, these moments of a connection to our bliss body or something other than you know, we were talking about the high in, in class and then it's over and then you have to go home and it's like womp womp. But, but, but I think when we are connected to something other than that, which 
makes us dwell in the world of comparisons, competition, you know, again, like, I'm not saying that all these things aren't, that they are a part of culture, so they always will be. But sadly, when we let those things dictate our happiness, it's hard, right? Because you'll never win, you'll never find your happiness through the thing because the thing is always changing and moving and somebody made it up. Who are these people? I'm always saying the inmates are running the asylum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, right. I mean, look at our government. Look at how government is run. I mean, it's kind of wacky. So I think how do we manage our own joy independent of events, circumstances, you know? I, I think that's the, the the challenge that we're all on because yeah. we've all also won things or gotten the thing we thought we wanted that would make us feel X, Y, Z. And then you're like, okay, now what? Yeah. That's the big, I think, you know, game that culture plays with us of like, oh, once you get this, you're going to be really happy. And it can be really dangerous to young people because then you get it and then you're like, well, I'm not happy that my happiness isn't in that thing. I know you know this, but I'm just, it's always important to reiterate, right? Yeah. Like our, our joy, our bliss is, is in life itself again. Yeah. And these things are wonderful to have. I'm not saying people should not go for getting a girlfriend or, you right. know, or whatever, but right. uh, yeah. I, listen, this is such a great conversation because even though I teach these things, I always have to be freaking reminded of it. And like, you know, I'm working through it. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I was just going to say too, like, if I can real quick, like mm -hmm. I, for 25 years, I've never really named, I don't want to reduce what I do, you know, in acting circles through, through a hundred years, they call a lot of teachers call their thing a method, right? Like okay. Stella Adler or, or uh, uh, Stanislavski. And I'm not saying they weren't great teachers, but I I've never wanted to reduce what I teach to one thing because that makes it fixed mm -hmm. and immovable and unchangeable. And what we're talking about speaks to the fluidity of stuff. Yeah. But I yeah. did come across a Brene Brown quote. Um, and I was like, oh my God, this really encapsulates what I teach. Cause she talks about the nature of vulnerability, which is to be vulnerable also at the same time means to be courageous or brave, mm -hmm. which is living in emotional uncertainty without knowing the outcome and emotional exposure. And that's basically acting. And that is life, right? We're all walking the walk of whether we realize it or not of emotional vulnerability. And that takes guts. It takes bravery. Now we can cover it up with all kinds of control mechanisms, but that's the core of who we are as human beings. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It's so exciting to think about it in all these ways, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me in this exploration. I knew that was so amazing. You could come be a guest teacher at my acting studio. Oh, Let me know. We can, we can, we've scratched the surface of identity. I'm oh happy my to, God. to dive more into it. I mean, I, I hope, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're really inspiring. I was so inspired today and I'd love to use this for my own podcast since you recorded it, if I can, after sure, you post it. I'll send it, it to you. I'll send it to it's you. so, I mean, you're saying so many great things and I, I just think it's so inspiring. So Thank you. So if people want to learn more about you, get your book, listen to your podcast, how do we do that? Uh, well, I guess, um, cause you're going to post this on Instagram, right? So like, this is, 
I, I'm on Instagram at Anthony Mindel, and um, I'm sure you're going to have all that. And my book is called You Knew When You Were Two, my latest book. It's on Amazon. All my books are on Amazon. Okay. Um, and my podcast is on everywhere podcasts can be found. Is there a website with all of these? Uh, yeah. And then you can find me at, at uh, www.anthonymindel.com. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate Shout it. Out. Thanks so much for having me. Stay in touch. I'd love to do more conversations. Oh my God, yes. All right. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by We Audition. Receive 25% off with the promo code AMAW on weaudition.com. The video chat community to audition, rehearse, self-tape, and get advice and hopefully book the fucking job. Visit anthonymindel.com slash events for class info worldwide.